As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So, so Alex, uh, I'm glad you're on the on my podcast. I'm glad you agreed to come on the podcast. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's really exciting, and I'm flattered for the for, for you asking. You know, most of the time when I have a guest on my podcast, I have to read, in order to prepare, I have to read like the 12 books that they've written, um, you know, but with you, it was a little different. I had to watch, uh, not had to, I really enjoyed it, but I watched your eight episode series, Startup, which was, uh-huh. I listened to, I, this was the most I've listened to podcasts, and I even do a podcast, but uh-huh. I, I binge watched your, your series, Startup. That's awesome, and I love that. I love that you're saying you binge watched it because there's actually nothing to watch. But that, like, <laughs> well, you know, it's weird though. My wife and I would sit there and we did what we would do when we binge watch because you know we have a podcast app on our on the TV on the Apple TV, and you know there's like pretty images that come up oh, on really? the TV. That's hilarious. I've never heard of. I didn't know. I did, I've never heard of people. I've never heard of that use case. That's really so. You guys sit. It, this was like fully old time, like 1940s style. Yeah, we're sitting eating dinner, like eating like you know whatever a salad, watching a podcast instead of watching like yeah. you know I don't Game know yeah Game of Thrones or whatever. I don't even watch Game of Thrones, but that was the first TV show I thought of. Yeah, <laughs> that's a it's a great show. Uh, so, um, yeah. so I wanted to kind of describe, a, f- kind of from back. From from most recent to going back, who you are, even though many of my, my listeners might know who you are, um, you've you've you're a first time entrepreneur. But the funny thing is, your business is you're creating a podcasting business, and then even more interesting, you made a hugely successful podcast called Startup about the the troubles you've had and the stresses and everything the anxieties you've had while starting up a podcast business so your your podcast is about starting up a podcast business and yes. i thought that was genius it's a, well, it's meta i don't know if it's genius it's definitely uh it's definitely high concept i guess well it's worked because it's been it's been like the number one ranked uh podcast in in business and and among the top podcasts on on all of iTunes since you started, you, you also were, were very smart in leveraging, you know, so, so, okay, going back further, you, you're, it's not like you're an amateur at this. You're a, a serious professional. You've done Planet Money, which is a hugely successful show and podcast, and This American Life, which is consistently the number one podcast in the entire universe, unless there's some aliens making podcasts in Andromeda that are more popular. Well, there are aliens making podcasts that are more popular, and they're, they're, this American Life staff members, Julie Snyder 
and 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 uh, Sarah Koenig and Dana Chivas who are making cereal, and that's like actually become more popular even than This American Life. But yes, it's a uh, it's like uh, it, podcasting is definitely having a moment. And cereal is kind of like a fiction show. Like I've never watched like the the moth is like that as well. I've never watched kind of these fiction podcasts. Are they good? Uh, I mean, it's not fiction though. You know, I mean, it's like it's it's fully you know reported it's not it's, oh i thought it was fiction i'm my mistake completely on on serial i i hadn't watched serial Serial's like fully fully uh no no it's 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 journalism it's fully it's fully reported it's uh but it but it's it feels like a, a serialized drama like it feels like when you listen to it it feels like a serialized drama and so. And, so, and so um you also this american life was on showtime for a while you won some emmy awards Yes. Yeah, I was the executive producer of the TV show for uh, for for two years. When the two years that we did the TV show, and was that like a huge drag to go from audio to kind of? I feel like it adds this whole dimension video, which is extremely painful. Oh my god, it was just such a gigantic pain in the ass doing TV. It was like I, I wasn't prepared for it, and and also we th- we went in sort of like pretty pretty cocky about like our ability we were like we're storytellers. Why is TV so dumb? Like we know how to do it, and we're, you know all we're gonna do is just do the things we do on the radio show and it's going to work. And of course, nothing that we learned, none of the, none of the sort of like the, the expertise we built up, you know, telling stories on the radio really translated into TV at all. And so we did a bunch of things in the beginning that were, that were pretty bad. They were like actually bad, very bad, like unwatchable. Well, it's um, funny. And I want to, I want to, um, you know, get to your, your business stuff in a second, but what did you find the um, biggest, kind of challenge or learning curve say going from audio to to video in terms of your storytelling it's well it's just it's a there's a couple really concrete things so like on the radio when you're doing stories on the radio your bread and butter are are stories that have happened to people in the past like that's a great radio segment you get a good storyteller telling a good story about something that happened to them in the past and that's like your hour's done you know what i mean like and we have many many you know, sort of many of the greatest This American Life episodes are simply people telling a, a really good story about something that happened to them in the past. On TV, that's death. Like, you can't just train a camera on somebody and have them talk about a story that happened to them. It's, like, boring. And so TV, everything needs to be happening in the moment. And we weren't used to thinking about that. Like, that you, you, like you know, a story that happened in the past is basically it didn't happen. Like, you can do it, and, like, Errol Morris does it. But, like... You have to do so much work and it's so expensive to, to sort of like show the images that go along with the story that happened in the past. Um, and so, so that was one of the big things is that like we, we had to retrain ourselves to just look for stories that were happening in the moment that we could go film as they were happening because otherwise it just didn't work. Um, and then the other thing was uh, just sort of like the, what's, what, what TV is good at is, is different than what radio is good at. Radio is good at empathy uh tv is good at um you know it's better at judgment basically like a lot of times you watch tv and you're like oh i hate that person i love that person and like that's the you know like you 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 form sides basically as you're watching and and sort of tv is good at that you know it's good at like sort of like here's the kardashian that i like here's the kardashian that i hate you know and like um whereas like whereas like i love that example by the way yeah Right. And, uh, and, and like, it makes you realize like why TV is the way it is. Like it, it needs certain things. It needs this, it needs sort of exterior conflict. It needs like stuff happening. It needs people who are sort of like, like it works. Okay. Like, so I, uh, irony in the classic sense of the word where the character, 
the the audience knows something about the character that the character does not know about themselves. Irony doesn't really work very well on 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 in audio. Like you don't want an unself-aware person in your story for that long. And if they are unself-aware, they have to be they have to come to a realization during the course of the story. And you you do it a little bit in some of your podcast episodes in in startup. Yeah. Right. You know, you know, like in the um, negotiation with you and your partner Matt, um, you, when you have the mic on both, you know, the, the conversation with Matt and his wife after you made your first offer of ninety ten, you had the mic on the conversation between you and your wife, who everybody is in love with now, by the way, and then you have the mic on the conversation between uh, Matt and his wife, and it's it's interesting to see both sides, and you, you agreed not to listen to each other until you know afterwards, after the negotiation was settled. And so I thought that was interesting how you did that. And that was like sort of like then like sort of like the audience at that point when they're listening to me, they know that I'm being sort of a dick, you know, in a way that I, I, I was sort of aware at the time, but sort of not aware. And then I, I, I don't believe that. I think I think what it was is you. Tri- so so just to set the stage for the listeners, um, you felt you needed a partner in your business, which is, you know, who knows if that's correct or incorrect. But you, you, you felt you needed a partner in your podcasting business and you initially uh, a guy you knew um, was already doing a lot of work for free and the, and the the issue came up of how he was going to be compensated and you offered him a 90 10 split it's right. not unusual post product and post revenues for an incoming let's say CEO or partner to get 10 percent uh, of a business that is not completely unusual that's actually sort of standard it may be just a little bit more of a negotiation since you were pre-product and pre-raising money right. Exactly. And, and, and basically the idea was sort of like, is, is he coming on as like a full, you know, more like a co-founder or was, was he coming on as like, you know, as like a hire essentially. And, uh, and, and what we decided was like, I, I needed, I needed somebody who was going to sort of shoulder the burden of building it together, like more of a co-founder. And so that's where we ended up. But like, I'd started out thinking of him as sort of like a, a hire. Um, and, th- and that was the, that was the course of our negotiation. Yeah, and, and really, it's a philosophical thing. Like, like for instance, Google, Larry Page, and Sergey Brin were clearly co-founders, even though Larry Page wrote all the code or most of it. But on Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg was the main guy, and his friends were all much lower. Right, and 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 well, I mean, this is the thing that I feel like I've I've the great secret that I've been learning is sort of like there there's, there doesn't seem to be a, a right answer to almost any of these questions, like. Or maybe there is. I don't know. But it seems like like when I started researching it, sort of like how do you split equity? Like the, the answers came back all over the map, you know? And like some people were just sort of like you're wasting valuable space thinking about it. Like just do something that feels fair. Other people were like here's, a, here's this like spreadsheet that you can sort of plug in all these values and sort of figure out like who's, who came up with the idea, how long have you been doing, what's your experience, blah, blah, blah. And then it spits out like a, you know, a sort of like a to the decimal point, you know, equity split. You know, it was like – and everything in between, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's, it is more art than science. I kind of believe that spreadsheet approach, and then you kind of find as many factors as possible. But even then, how do you value um, – for instance, one person has the idea. Another person codes the idea or, or implements the idea. Another person raises the money. So each thing I sort of feel is like equally valued, and then you figure out who brings what to the table. Right. So whose side were you on in that negotiation, by the way? Where, where, do you think we arrived at a place that felt like you would – if you're sitting there listening to that story, are you yelling at me? Are you yelling at Matt? Are you yelling at when, when we arrived at the answer? Were you like, oh, no? Or were you like, yeah, cheering? What, where, what was your reaction? I, I thought 
I thought where you ended up was great. I, I always err on the side of giving more equity because then they're really invested and they care and you know that they're not looking behind their backs to figure out if there's something better they could be doing. Like, you know, if you had given Matt 10, then he's thinking to himself, oh, if the business just sells for $3 million five years from now, um, I've only made $300,000 and that's not worth it. So, so I think not that it's going to sell. I, I'm just making, I'm just throwing out numbers there. But yeah. that's the that's the thinking I w- that would be going through my head. Um, particularly since you were pre everything at that point. If you were at the state where you are at now, then 10 percent is max, and pretty soon five percent is going to be max. Uh, okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll tell you. Like, I, like, are you familiar with Bitly, which is the URL shortener? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so I used to be on the board of Bitly. And um, with Bitly, there was one point when a new CEO was coming in, but we were already a year into the game. So he got his 10%, but he had to put money in to buy his 10%. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. So, so there's all sorts of ways. Like you say, there's no right answer. Like you, were, you, you had another episode um, where you were discussing the valuation of your business. And I'll tell you the funny thing. I'm sitting there listening with my wife. I was about to say watching again. I, I was sitting there listening with my wife, and I was thinking to myself, he's, he's describing this all wrong. And my wife said, uh, for the first time ever, I understand what valuation means. <laughs> so, so who knows? But, but, but it's funny because these were the issues you were going through. So like in the very first episode – um, I, I learned on each episode, by the way. And so I've been doing startups for like 20 years. But I, I learned something on each episode. So you're talking to Chris Saka, um, who, by the way, I think is an investor in Bitly uh, that I was in the port, that I, a company I just mentioned. But you were talking to Bis- Chris Saka in the first episode. And he asked this great question, which I thought, which I've been plagiarizing ever since, which is, um, what is your unfair advantage? And you were stumbling over that. And then by, by, you know, by the end, we realize, or not the end, because you still have episodes to go, or at least one more episode to go. By the end, we realize you do have an unfair advantage. You've created like the best podcast of all time. So that's an unfair advantage. Well, yeah, well, I, I guess so. I mean, I mean, I have like, it's, yeah, I mean, like, there's the way the way I put it is sort of like, because of the economics of sort of like, radio, um, and especially this kind of radio, like sort of like long form narrative radio, there just weren't that many people who went into it. And the people who went into it were sort of like financial morons because there was not really very much money to be made. So it wasn't like, it's not like an ecosystem where like, yeah, sure. It's hard to make it as a director, but if you do make it as a director, you're, you're a millionaire, you know? And like, there's lots of jobs for like commercial directors and all sorts of, there's like a, there's a financial ecosystem to support movie making and TV making. Um, but, but in, but in audio, there wasn't really, there was like NPR, you could be an NPR reporter. And then there was a couple shows like this American life for a long time. And that was it, you know, and there was not this set of skills that I happened to possess because I sort of like lucked into that one place where I learned them all of a sudden now they have value in a way that they never had before. You know, it's like, it's, it's awesome. It's an awesome thing. But I feel like I am the, I'm, I'm like the, I'm like one of the few people in the world who knows how to. Who's like really spent a long time, decades, thinking about how to tell a story in audio? Okay, know? so I'm going to play devil's advocate. So you yeah. became an expert at doing that for NPR, which essentially breaks even. So, so how does it translate into 
building a a business. Now, you you again, I want to uh, encourage all the listeners to to listen to your excellent podcast starter because you you sort of go through this to some extent. Um, although I have some some more ideas I wanted to ask you about, but you you've mastered the art of breaking even in long form radio. Yeah. So so NPR breaks even. NPR is a big. Uh, uh, I don't even know how to characterize what NPR does, and I don't. I'm not like I. I, I don't know like the people in finance at NPR would might tell you a different story, but like, I mean, we do know that like the last year I was associated with NPR, they 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 had a ten million dollar deficit, so they 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 had to cut ten million out of their budget. So they were, right. They're essentially supported by subsidies. They're, they're not. I mean, the subsidies are are nothing. They're like uh, they. Um, you know, the subsidies are a very, very tiny part, and hardly any of it actually goes to NPR that, that creates most of the program that people are familiar with. So it's like a long, it's a super Byzantine sort of world. One thing that I will tell you is that, like, having been on the inside of that world, it's, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of opportunities to sort of, like, um, monetize, I think, that are not taken advantage of. or like not, And not even, like, pretty obvious ones, you know, just, like, selling ads. Like, they're not very good at even just selling spots, you know, on, right. on popular podcasts. So, so, so I think, but, but like, so, so then there's, so there's the NPR, I guess what I would say, the public radio world is very big and diverse. And so what you have like the, this American life of the, of that world, and they're actually, you know, it's a not for profit, but it's profitable. Like it's bringing in more than it's spending. It's a very, and, and, and uh, so, and it's doing well and it's expanding and it's, it's, it's going great. And, and a lot of the big, you know, free economics uh, is, is the same thing. Like they're, I I think they're pretty healthy, you know. I oh mean, yeah, I I actually was just uh, uh, working with Stephen Dubner the other day on something, and uh, Freakonomics is doing very well. It's a profitable concern and very profitable, and can, and could become potentially more profitable. And like, and it's one of those things where like what you st- you scale listeners, and it's not like it adds that much production cost, like maybe a little bit of bandwidth, but it's pretty marginal. So you all you're doing once you once you get to a certain tipping point, you're just you're just adding to your margin, you know. Uh, and this is this is pure advertising, which is always a risky model because you never know. It's like the internet advertising, like CPMs on banner ads in 19, 1998 uh, declined like 99% by 2001. Absolutely. And and I think and and that is like we're like this always happens, you know, you you know the sort of the 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 Medium comes of age, it becomes a hot new thing. The advertisers are interested, you know, it, like the, you know, CPMs get bid up and then they go back down again. And, and we're very aware that we're in a CPM bubble. Uh, and that we're, and, and that's why we really want to sort of um, get a, you know, like as soon as possible. I think the, the, the great advantage to podcasting is that like you're, you have such a direct relationship with your listeners, um, you understand more what they want. They have a connection to you, and there's a way to sort of like engage your listeners for to to you know to to as a revenue stream as well. And that's one of the things that we really want to get up and running. Right now, we're taking advantage of the ad ad model just because like you know CPMs are high and, and seem to be growing higher. Um, so that's great. Um, but uh, but ultimately, we need to we need to we need to involve our listeners and and have them on board as. as of them as a revenue stream. So I don't know if you disclose this, but what what are what do you make? Like, if if someone wants to sponsor like an episode of Startup, what does it cost them? Uh, it's like the God. I don't know if I should like. Well, so so I mean, we did disclose it on on an episode. So uh, 
when early on Mailchimp was our sponsor, and I asked the Mailchimp what you know what they're what they're paying us, and they told us they were paying us six thousand uh, dollars per per episode, um, and that's like it, it works out to be about a thirty dollars CPM, and that's that's consistent thirty dollars CPM. You know, I've I've heard I've heard anywhere from thirty to forty five dollars CPMs on different. You know, I think it also depends too. Like you, you have a, a, a your demographic because your your number one ranked in the business category is a, a kind of a high net worth demographic. Uh, just just by category. So so sometimes there are podcasts in that in the business category that are getting higher CPMs. Like yeah. Entrepreneur on Fire by John Lee Dumas is an example. Yeah, absolutely, and and like you know, I mean like. You know, working at business, you know, Planet Money, I was like, yeah, I realized that as well. Like, there are, you know, there's an audience that 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 advertisers pay more to access, um, and certainly a small business audience, business focused audience, is one of those audiences. And uh, yeah. what made you decide to make the the big? I mean, obviously, there's 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 an obvious reason, which is you want to make more money. But what made you decide to go from nonprofit to hey, I'm going to start my own podcast business, and like, why a podcast business? Well, a podcast, like, that's the one thing I know how to do. So. I mean, you know, numbers are huge. They're, they're just numbers were growing, you know, and like, and it felt like I was sitting there at Planet Money and watching our audience. Like, we had like forty-one percent year-over-year growth, you know, for the last three years. And since I've left, it's actually you know, sort of like in the wake of this big project we did, and sort of like, you know, those numbers have grown even more. Um, like, it was, you know, I was sitting here in this sort of like so-called declining media world, and like. Our our numbers are growing. Our audience is growing. Like excitement is growing. Same things happening at this American Life. Same things happening with all of the podcasts that I know about. And it just felt like, um, it just seemed. It felt just like there's a we're at an inflection point. You know, like this is this habit is going to take hold. And I don't know if it's going to be like through you know through the podcast app or anything like that. But like on demand listening is 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 coming. Is that we're at an inflection point and people are going to be looking for this kind of programming and like. The kind of programming that I know how to make, people are seeking it out. So it just seemed like, to me, it really was like somebody should be doing this and nobody was doing it the way I thought it should be done, which is sort of to, to raise some money, pay people to start shows and like get, you know, get those shows to build audiences and just, you know, you know, rinse and repeat, you know? Well, I, I'd say there's maybe, um, I can think of two competitors out there. One is Podcast One by uh, Norm Pérez, uh, who started Westwood One in the radio space. And he's got, you know, Adam Carolla, Steve Austin, and so on. And he's building up a podcast network. He starts and owns the shows. He gets ads. And he says they're doing, I don't know if they're doing well, but he says they're doing well. And yeah. then you have uh, Midroll slash Earwolf, where they both are a middleman to place ads and they have their own kind of little podcast network where they create and own the shows. Yeah, I know. And, and like, so I, early on, like Jeff Ulrich, uh, who runs, who, who started Earwolf and I were, were talking and he was like, you know, he was like, yeah, I think, you know, I, I called him very early, like in the early days when I first had this idea before I like considered leaving or before I like, you know, like knew what I was doing. This was like, you know, a year and a half ago, probably at this point. And, um, just cold called him and sort of like, you run a podcast network. I sort of want to start a podcast network. How does it work? And he and I talked a lot about like how it would go and like how, how they were being successful and where they saw growth. And, and, you know, I mean, that was a big, they were a big inspiration to me. Um, and then there's another sort of on the not-for-profit side. Also, there's this Radiotopia um, phenomenon going on and, and this, this, this podcast called 99% Invisible. Yes. Uh, which is like a, a great podcast, and I talked to that guy Roman Mars, who's a, who's a friend of mine and, and 
you know, uh, and he was quite an inspiration too. Like he's out there on his own and he's making it, you know, he's like making money and hiring staff and like all on his, like uh, on the strength of his independent podcast. And it just felt like, you know, he's bringing in real money out of the gate, you know, like starting this thing from scratch, you know, and it just felt like there's just this, there's a passion there on the part of listeners and like, he's able to tap into it. And like, it just felt like there's like, you could grow from that, you know? So, so you saw this opportunity that we're at this inflection point on something you're particularly good and passionate about. And so you might as well make a huge amount more money doing something you love. Well, yeah, I mean, like when in history has it been possible for me to take these skills and like turn them into a, turn them into a, you know, a, a company worth on paper millions of dollars. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like people who are programmers in 1994, suddenly there was this huge opportunity for them or people who were like hardware slash computer guys in 1977. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it feels like for the first time in history. Like in my, in my lifetime, all of a sudden this skill that I've like sort of like worked and slaved to develop is now, is it now has value, you know, in this real way. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's great. Um, uh, you know, as we went from episode one to two to three to four, it was great seeing your learning curve. I, I, that's why I think it's so great for entrepreneurs to watch. Like, so in in episode one, we hear you, and it and it's almost like cringeworthy. Like we hear you pitching to Chris Saka, and he's like, "Stop! I'm going to pitch it back to you." And you said, "That's great." And then he says, "Okay, stop again." And he he pitches the other side to you, like why it's not good. And but so so you're at that point. And then in the second episode, you're like, "Oh, we got, there's 240 million radio listeners, and they're all trans." Like suddenly you're like spouting off the numbers, and you're 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 doing a really good job. Like I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it was like it, it was just a matter of like. You know, it was like that, that Chris Saka thing was so cringeworthy and it was so embarrassing to me too because I was like, this, I'm supposed to be good at this. Like this is like, I'm supposed to be a storyteller. Like that's why my whole thing, you know, like I'm supposed to be really good at this. This is supposed to be my particular strength. And I, you know, couldn't, I couldn't even tell a straight story about what I was trying to do, you know? And it was like, it was, it was, it was like, um, you know, on top of being cringeworthy, it was just like, it just, it was embarrassing. You know? well, well, it's interesting because there's a difference between storytelling and I'll call it copywriting for for lack of a better word or or um, you know pitching. You, you in in when you're pitching, you're telling a story, but you also have to have um, you also have to express within the story why this is solving an urgent problem, and you're doing it in a unique way. Yeah, exactly. And I just didn't. I hadn't. It was like a story that I hadn't really gotten fluent in, in telling yet. Like, what is the you know? And and so. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where you sort of, um, you practice it a couple of times. Like I practiced it a couple of times and I sort of got it like straighter in my head. Um, I also just was like, I mean, it's, it's hard to overstate how naive I was about the, the process. Like, it's like, I think to people inside the world who've been, you know, sort of doing entrepreneurial activity for a long time, like there are certain basic things that you, that you understand that, that I just did not understand. Like I, it's hard to overstate how nonprofit the public radio world is like it's very like it's really not something that people think about right do, do you did you view um or do you think that culture views for-profit or entrepreneurial activity uh with some stigma no question there's certainly there are definitely people within within that world that 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 sort of see any 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 profit driven behavior w- w- with suspicion 
and and um but more than that i think it's just sort of like i think it's like a they don't understand that there's degrees you know like like since i've entered sort of the 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 for profit world like within the for profit world every single actor in that world is driven by profit to varying degrees you know like you can you can you can have a for profit company and barely be driven by profit you know like you want to just you want to do this thing with your company and as long as you keep it you know as long as you're making enough money to keep it going that you're happy and then other people are like no no I want to maximize profit to the extent that I will change my whole business plan because I don't really care about the business plan I'm only in it for the profit and everything in between you know well, what I mean right but but I will I will give an example and you mentioned how um you know many companies sort of change course when they realize they're on a course that's not profitable. But what's really happening is they're on a course where they're not really providing any value to anybody. So you yeah. get, you gave Groupon as an example where at first they were social activists or, you know, they were building an email list to raise money for, for charities, but it wasn't really working. They weren't really adding value to their customers or to the charities. And so they switched to a model where they really added value and they helped, um, businesses do well, which means more people get hired, which means the economy does well and so on. So suddenly they didn't necessarily have uh, a, 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 they weren't necessarily thinking um, how can we generate the most profit? They were thinking how can we generate the most value? And I think that's the same thing with what you're doing. I think, I guess my point is simply like if all, if everybody in the for-profit world was only concerned about maximizing profit, like everybody would go and try to become a banker. Like that's where, like that's where, you know, it's sort of like pure, that's where the, that's where the pure profit is. And, and in fact, everybody does all these different things for all these different reasons, profit being one of them and in everybody's soul in a, in a different way. Like some people are like really trying to do something like, you know, like Steve Wozniak, you know, like I'm sure, and I don't even know, like I, I've never met these guys, but like you, you get the sense that like they were happy that Apple turned into the, you know, one of the biggest companies the world has ever known, but like that wasn't, they were trying to make a really cool computer, you know, and, and like, and then there's some people who are like, I am trying to get rich, you know, and through, through the world of computers and that's what I'm trying to do. That's all, that's my only point It's sort of like, there's no... It's like a very unnuanced, like within public radio, I think there's a very unnuanced view of like what what the for-profit world looks like and how everybody has different motivations. You know, it, it's interesting though, and a, a great example that's somewhere in the middle, not that they're not for profit, but you look at Facebook and the first several years of Facebook's existence or Google, the first several years of Google's existence, they were very focused on not making a profit. Like Mark Zuckerberg didn't want to put once you start making revenues, you have more than one thing to do. You have, not only do you have to build a service that's, service that's great for all your customers, but you also have to turn those customers into money. So if you, if you only, it's much easier to build a business if you only had to focus on one as opposed to the other. And so, so adding revenues means you need to do sales too, as opposed to just t- telling a story in a great podcast. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then I think also there's, there's this question of sort of like how big do, do you want to get? Like I think a lot of people are, are, are happy to sort of not, you know, get as big as they want to, as big as they could for the sake of maintaining sanity in their lives. So they're like foregoing additional riches, you know, to, to, to uh, you know, for other reasons, you know. I don't know. Just, you know what I mean? Like I feel yeah. like it's, it's, it's obvious to people who are in the for-profit world, but I feel like there's like a view that I was also had, which is sort of like, Everybody outside of the not-for-profit world is driven by money and money only. 
Well, you know, it, it's also interesting because so so I don't want to give too much away uh, of of your series, but but you you raise money, you raise some money. Is it okay for me to say that? Fine, yeah, yeah. So you raise some money, and um, the problem with raising money is now you have an obligation to focus on delivering value not only for your customers but for your investors and right. that that adds a whole extra stress for you absolutely absolutely yeah no it's a very and like i think we want to do an upcoming episode about that about like sort of like that you know matt and i just had a conversation about it where like you know in a weird like way before you've raised the money you're just sort of like these you know these this this, these plucky, this plucky duo tilting at windmills maybe and trying to convince you know, people to come on your journey and then all of a sudden you have the money raised and now they're investors and they have expectations of you that you're going to perform. And, you know, like it's, yeah, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different dynamic. And, and like, you know, like it's like, a, you know, it's a additional stress. Absolutely. Yeah. M- many, many entrepreneurs, um, they think the very first thing they need to do is go out. They have a great idea and, and they, the first thing they have to do is go out there and raise money. And maybe they do need to do that because they have to pay themselves. But, Often I encourage people, and it just depends on the business, to first generate revenues because that's your cheapest money. Like you don't have to give up any equity and you, and you can focus on your product. But it just depends on someone's you know, circumstances in life. Yeah, yeah. And I think if, if, like, if, my, if I was doing this when I was 27 instead of 47, I might have tried to like, sort of like just start, my, you know, start a show and tried to bootstrap it and grow it that way. It just felt like where I was, well, first of all, I had the opportunity, I think, with because of the platform to to raise the money and, and sort of like right. be, be, you know, be able to pay people, you know, so, and I think that's one of our advantages right now, you know, is that like, you know, our bet is basically that if you look at the top of iTunes, like, you know, the top 10 is basically dominated by shows where there's, there, there are production teams who are working together to make it as compelling a content as possible. And so the theory is that that's what, you know, that's the thing, that's where, that's where there's not as much clutter in the market and that's where we can be, we can sort of, you know, really make a mark. But to, to do that kind of programming, I know because I've done it for 15 years, you, it can't, it's not something that somebody can do in their spare time for no money. You know, you need to hire people to put out a product consistently that is good and like where you've traveled places and talked to people and edited and thought and, you know, like you need to pay people to do that. That's like, it's like, you know, it's like, that's just sort of the basic thing. And so, so in order to pay people, you need, you know, you need, you need a pot of money to pay them from. You know, it's funny because if you look at the top ranking podcasts, you're right. The the best podcasts or the most popular podcasts out there are the ones that are heavily produced. Like for, for so, so you put out, you know, roughly a half hour every two weeks, how many hours of, uh, kind of audio do you record to get to boil it down to those you know 30 minutes every two weeks oh i mean you know hours and hours and hours you know it's probably like the ratio i don't know what the ratio is it's probably like i I probably i've put out so it's been we've done we're on episode seven so we've put out a total of three hours total and i probably you know i i have about um uh 50 hours of raw tape probably yeah and then and then that requires editing like producers everything yeah like and just sort of like and like and then editing is the big one because you have to play it like our editing process every show that i've worked on is like you you know i'll I'll write it and that takes you know that takes several days you got to edit the tape you write it you write out a script then i'll read the script and 
play the cuts aloud for 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 a couple of people, like a team of editors. And I've just been grabbing editors where I can. Um, and then you know, like, oh, that part was boring, or that part wasn't working well, or that part was like confusing, and I need to rewrite that, or this part wasn't motivated enough. It didn't give you a reason to listen further. And so, uh, and then you have to go back and rewrite it. And then often you do another edit where it's like, yeah, it's still not working here, and still not working here. And that, I am a huge believer in editing. Like to me, that is a, the other great sort of like innovation that we're adding to our model is that we're building in editors and editing because. In my experience, that's the only way to 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 make it really like super engaging to people who maybe don't give a shit about business, but are going to maybe follow my journey because like there's also the storytelling element of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. and and it's interesting because you look at like sort of the next level down. It's um, I would say celebrity interview driven. So you have guys like Adam Carolla interviewing celebrities. And then the it's more of a one to one ratio of, you know, they interview somebody for an hour and then that they put that up on the podcast. So he does a podcast every day for an hour. And you know, that's that's a different model. And podcast one then has quantity. I'm not saying he's sacrificing quality, but he's definitely focused on let's have 200 shows and you want to create three shows and that's going to be your initial podcast network. Yeah. And if we, but, but, but like if we, so, you know, if like, I mean, if you look at cereal, so for example, cereal is like, you know, those guys have been working on that for a year and it's like three of like the most talented, highly paid individuals in the, in the sort of public radio narrative journalism world, right. Doing that. And, uh, and, and and so in terms of like cost per minute, it's off the charts, you know, as is This American Life, as is Radiolab. But then, you know, in terms of like the number of listeners, you know, when you're talking about millions of people, a million plus people listening to every single episode that comes out, that's also blowing everybody else out of the water. So so it seems like there's a link. That's our bet is that there is a, there is a link between the time put in and the number of people who reward you with listening. Um, and, and so I'm hoping that link holds for us. Yeah, and then, you know, I was wondering, have you considered on monetization uh, doing affiliate deals? So, like, for instance, MailChimp is was a, um, an advertiser for, for many of your episodes. Uh, would you do an affiliate deal with them so that, hey, get a special deal on signing up for premium MailChimp if you go to, you know, herestartup.com slash MailChimp and sign up there, and then you split that premium fee with uh, MailChimp? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we would consider anything, any anything that 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 would be, you know, that would like any. We're open to any and all revenue, interesting revenue ideas. Yeah, like, yeah, no question. What what's your what's your next shows that you think you'll you'll do or that you'll start from scratch? We are so our our next show launches in a week. Uh, it launches oh. on the Monday before Thanksgiving, uh, and it'll be up. Uh, and it's called. Um, uh, it's called uh, Reply All, uh, and it's a it's a show about the internet and internet culture, um, and it's two guys who used to do a show on on WNYC, um, and uh, they're uh, they're um, we're 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 really excited about them. What's the first episode about? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. They've got a bunch of uh, they got a bunch of we've got a bunch of stories that we're working on. We're not sure exactly which is the first one, which one's going to be the first one, but there's a. Uh, I'm going to preview it like you'll you'll get the preview on the first on the next episode of Startup which comes out next Monday. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah. So so you're basically now fully up and running. You're hiring people. You're I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, it comes out two Mondays. For, it doesn't come out next Monday. It comes out the Monday after next. Right. Week, yeah. So, so, so you're full. You're fully, in, you know, running a business now. You're the CEO of a business. I'm the, I'm the CEO of a business. Exactly. <laughs> and and how does it feel like? Because now you're not just doing your show. Now you're also dealing with probably ten other things that you've never dealt with before. It feels. I mean, it's super exciting, and it's also like just super terrifying. Like I, I don't like what I. So far, being the CEO of this particular business means doing a lot of the stuff that I was doing at Planet Money, which is sort of like working with, working with the working with the creators to create good shows. And we have editorial meetings, we bat around ideas, and we're like, "How would you do that on the radio? How would you do that on audio? What, what, you know, who do you talk to for that story? That's a great story. How do we do it? You know?" And then like sort of like doing edits and listening to the stories and like saying like, "You know, this part's boring. Do this part. Rewrite this." You know. So a lot of it is the same as what I've been doing before. What that's I know that at a certain point that's going to change, um, you know, and at a certain point, like, if, you know, if all goes well, we're going to be growing and we're going to have three shows and then six shows and then we're going to be, you know, expanding to other things. And maybe we're going to be doing, you know, like deals like, you know, production deals and tie ins and, you know, all sorts of stuff is going to be going on. And at that point, I don't that's where I'm going to get into a world where I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, and that's scary. Well, you know, fortunately, you have good investors who are, who are advisors who could help walk help you walk through a lot of this stuff. And I think you've been very good about calling and asking people for uh, advice, uh, as I could see on the on the episodes. That, yeah. That's that's important. Um, yeah. But but I wanted to ask, kind of on a on a personal level, like your wife brought up something really interesting, and I'm I'm going to phrase it in a different way than than she phrased it. But she basically said that her life has changed now because. Not necessarily that you're so much more busy, but that you're you're more unavailable. And I think the word she was trying to get at is basically you no longer leave your work at the office. Your your work now you bring home. So so you're basically at work twenty four hours a day. And how how are you going to resolve this on a kind of a um, I hate to use the, the phrase work life balance, but just in terms of your relationship with with your your wife and kids, how are you guys? How are you resolving this? I mean, like the way I've resolved it right now is I, I is I try to, I mean, in a certain way, I'm forced by my circumstances to to have it resolved. Um, I obviously like, and I've said this, you know, like there's, you know, if it does, if it did come down to, you know, my business or my family, I, I'm going to choose my family. Like that's the most important thing to me. I think that's often phrased as a false choice, um, and. Right now, my life is such that there are certain just moment, you know, you know, parts of the day where I can't, I, I can only focus on my family. Um, and because of our weird circumstances, my wife works late. Uh, and so there's this period of like, you know, like basically six to eight where I, I can't be checking my email, I can't be doing anything because I'm the only one at home with the kids and I got to get them to bed and fed and, and, and bathe. So, so in a certain way, like I'm, my, my, the circumstances are forcing me to sort of like draw hard, fast boundaries. And it's sort of the same thing like from the hours of like 6 to 7.30 in the morning. Like I'm, because my wife works late, she's like, you know, she gets up later, so I work, you know, I get up earlier. So there's like these, there are these two sections of the day where I'm forced to only think of family. Um, but it's interesting, like for, for everybody else in the country, those times, you know, they're, they're not at work. Like 
Uh, so they don't feel forced into doing anything. They're just simply not at work. So they, of course they're not checking their email. But you kind of feel the itch. Oh, it's 6 a.m. I've got to check to see if I got any emails overnight. Well, it's like I, I do and I don't because like, cause like, like as long as you give yourself the permission to be like, well, this is my time. I'm not like I just I can't. And so I'm not. It does. Uh, the itch doesn't even really happen. Like and like also like my kids are two and four. Like they don't. They're like. They don't give a shit about my emails, right? Like they're sort of like, <laughs> what's for breakfast? Where's my breakfast? You know, right? You know, can you play with me? Like, what are you doing? And it's like, it is like literally impossible to. Um, they make it. The the circumstances in my life have conspired to make it impossible for me to even worry about the email when I'm thinking. You you have to be just so there. You can't you can't be doing it. Um, so, but again, like we're still at the beginning and like we've launched, you know, we're launching one show, we're going to bring another show on. And I, and I, what I worry about is sort of like things are going to get busier even than they are now. Like they're busy now and they're going to get busier. Can and your that, wife, can you like work, work with you in your business? Like, so my wife and I work together on many of my business projects. How does that work for you? We've talked about this. How does that work for you? Well, for one thing, I, I have an ex-wife also. <laughs> so when that didn't it depends on the personality so i would never have been able to work in a business with my ex-wife but uh with claudia uh my wife now it works great like we work really well together and we both support each other in each other's projects and it's it's great and to me listening to you interact with your wife on your podcast i think you would guys would do a great job working together we, I, I mean, it's something that uh, there's a, I mean, she's, you know, she's in the media world. She was, she's, she has a radio background. She's, I happen to think that she's like a super talented radio personality. She's obviously great on tape. Uh, like there's, um, like there's a, there's a, yeah, I, we talk about it, you know, all the time. Like, you know, could you work with the company, you know, in some ways? And, and to her, it would be nice too, like to be, you know, this is this huge, sort of thing that we're doing together that's impacting our family that only I'm doing right now. And I think that she would like to be more able to be more of a part of it. Um, I personally think that's the direction she should go. You know, a great example is um, uh, Buddy Media, which was a New York-based uh, company. And uh, Michael Lazarow and Cass Lazarow, his wife, uh, both co- co-ran it, basically. Right. But I feel like I, I feel like it can work if it if it is just the husband and wife team. Like the issue is like we have another we have a I'm getting really deep here, but like we have, you know, like my 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 partner Matt, you know, who you know, we we built this company together and I feel like that's like that's where it feels like we all get along and it's all great, you know, but, but it also feels like, well, what if things it's just weird having the CEO's wife now joining the company in a way that's like like puts everybody in a in an odd position if things go wrong you know so that's what i'm leery of like and i feel like that's where we're all leery of i'm not saying anything that you know my wife or, or matt wouldn't say like this the the there's obvious advantages and then there's obvious sort of risks well well it's interesting and this this segues into what i was going to ask you next but you know in, in any kind of startup everything is weird right so you and you experience this in every single episode of startup like just trying to figure out um, the negotiation between you and your partner Matt puts you into so many awkward conversations where nobody really knows anything. That it's it's always awkward every step of the way. And um, might as well uh, just go for it. 
Yeah, yeah. I would just go for it. So my my very first business that I started was in the nineties. I I created it. I felt like everybody needed a website. Nobody even knew what a website was, and so I felt like every corporation needed a website. So my brother in law and I created a business making websites for companies, and my sister was uh, an employee. And you know, it's it's awkward, but you figure you figure it out as as problems happen. Your brother in law still married to your sister. Um, my brother-in-law is still married to my sister, but my sister and I don't really talk. <laughs> so, so that happens. It just, it's just one of those, those things out. Now, again, we could have probably figured that out, but, but we didn't. Right. So, um, I but you, are you made, I think you just like, I don't know. I, I think you were like a, a witness for the prosecution there unwittingly. Uh, I, I, I was, but, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, it, again, it, it comes down to the personalities. Like, uh, I don't think I could have worked very well in a business with my ex-wife, but I work very well in a business with right. my current wife. So right. it just depends. And just just from what I hear when you guys talk, and of course, obviously, it's heavily edited, so I don't hear everything. It seems like you guys would be very well working with each other if you figured out the right roles. Like perhaps she could produce a show. Right. No, she's no. She, she and I like I, you know I, like we have a great relationship, and I you know like we we are we have. Are really good communicators with each other. That that so, and I feel like that's the main thing you need. And and um, so so, yeah. I think I think. I, I just read a study that um, you know they they studied a bunch of people who they they tracked a bunch of people who got married and then where they were six years later and who was still married and who wasn't and what worked and what didn't. And basically, if a bad problem happens. And you both kind of respond to each other positively, like the first inclination is how do we solve this problem, then that's usually a good indicator that the marriage is going to last. And that's what it sounds like on your on your podcast. Yeah, we we're trying to support each other. Yeah. Totally. So yeah. so so for the average, so a lot of people are are not entrepreneurs and everybody thinks to themselves, oh, not everybody's an entrepreneur. But at the same time, we're kind of in this economy where not everybody is a corporate person either. Like the corporate world, as you've documented so well on, on Planet Money, the, the corporate world has kind of turned upside down in the past five years, and I, I would argue even longer. And a lot of people are sort of sitting there in their cubicles wondering, well, I want to be an entrepreneur. What are kind of the initial hurdles, both psychological and financial and, and whatever, that you think a beginning um, or, or a, a hopeful entrepreneur has to overcome? Psychological hurdles, you mean? Is that what you said? Psychological, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think. I think there's like a. Uh, I think you need a certain. I don't. Know, there's some. I remember there's this Malcolm Gladwell article like a while ago that, where it was like it, it was it was the 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 thesis of the article was that like you don't. Most people who created um, who created successful, uh, successful um companies or who created like groundbreaking innovations if they had known how much work it was going to take they never would have attempted it in the beginning so you need a, a, a pretty hefty dose of hyperbolic discounting of the future <laughs> problems you know what i mean you right. need to think you need to you need to be you need to be op- you need to be stupidly optimistic in a certain way and so i feel like part of it is sort of like um because you, you you know, if you were actively, if you were very, very, if you were, if you ap- accurately represented what a big pain in the ass it was going to be and how hard it was going to be and all the possible risks 
nobody would ever do anything. So you need to be able to like sort of operate with a sense of a little bit of a sense of self delusion, I would say. Um, and then you get into the middle of it, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. Um, uh, let me put that in like in a, in a slightly more positive way, because not, not if everyone says, oh, okay, I need to be self deluded, they're, they're just not going to do it. But I think you have to get really good at solving hard problems that you're not used to solving in the corporate work workplace. You have to have faith that you're going to solve them. Right. Like, you have to have a faith in yourself that like, uh, w- that I'm not going to know how to solve these problems, and it's like you have to. It's a. It is absolutely a leap of faith, and I think for me. Being, you know, sort of like putting out a weekly show where you're trying to do something, you know, good week after week after week, and you're, 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 you, it was like part of it. It's, I, it feels like I'm exercising the same muscle, which is sort of like, oh my god, this story sucks. We don't have anything to go up. Like this fell through, and this fell through, and this fell through, and this is never going to work. And then just week after week, figuring out a way to make it work. Like it, it trained that muscle of sort of like, I, w- I will, I will deal with things. I, I have now faith that I can things that will come up and I will be able to deal with them. I think uh, that, I think that's extremely important. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and so, because otherwise you, cause you're not like, yeah. So it's like, and you have to be a little bit like a little bit psyched for that challenge, you know? Um, uh, and, uh, it's so it's like that thing, you know, remember that the thing I always think about is that, do you remember you watch Shakespeare in love, that movie Shakespeare in love? No, I didn't see it. Oh, it's a great movie. I, I don't watch any movie w- w- related to Shakespeare, but but I'll, I'll check it out on your recommendation. Nothing to Shakespeare. It's just all about like it's a great. It's a it's like a sort of it's a fantastic movie. And there's this great there's this actor Je- Jeffrey Rush is in it, and he's like the he's the beleaguered theater producer, uh, in you know the in 16th century England, and like every you know it's like about it's basically it's a it's a fiasco movie about like this production gone wrong, huh. uh, and uh and. He, uh, there's, he has the same thing and like, and like, and he's sort of like unflappable through the whole thing. And everybody's like, well, what are you going to do right now? Because this person's, you know, sick and this person's gone and the, the blah, 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 and blah, blah. And he's like, I don't know. It, it'll work out. It always does. And that's what he always says over and over again. And that's sort of like, that is sort of the, the attitude of like, it'll work out. It always does. I don't know why. But you know, when you, when you first start and, and, and you, this is really where it was so heartfelt either in the first or second episode, I forget of startup, you're like saying to your wife and you, you, it's, it's, you, your voice is a lot deeper and you're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And it's just like, we feel for you. Like it's hard to know if you know what you're doing when you're at the beginning of something and you kind of have to overcome, you have to kind of overcome that feeling. Or just like it's not even about overcoming it. It's just sort of like acknowledging it and like just knowing that like I I can let this feeling stop me or I can keep on taking a couple steps ahead and see what happens. Like I feel like overcoming it makes it sound like you have to have some sort of like Herculean effort or something like that. Like you're running a Iron Man. Like it's not even. It's like literally just sort of like okay, I am I'm freaking out and I don't know what I'm doing, but I guess I'm not going to stop. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a that's a good point. Is that because some because it could be the case that you're correct, but you still are going to go forward. Yeah, you're going to go forward anyway, right? And so far, what are the what are the? I mean, obviously, raising money is a huge pleasure. But what are the what are the things that you've enjoyed most? I mean, you've gotten a lot of acclaim for the podcast startup. Oh, that, uh, what, mean, what what do you enjoy the most? I mean, honestly, like this, like last couple of weeks, like since we've been so we've got these guys on board and we're, like we're putting together their shows and we're trying to build like a, you know a well of material that like because you know we're like you know two weeks it's going to be a weekly show from now 
till forever, right? Every week now we're going to be coming out with something new. And so we want to try to build up a little bit of a, of a, of a well. And we've been working just sort of like, you know, working on, you know, building up like this sort of bench of stories. And, um, and it's just been great. It's just been feeling like that was like, I, I've been away from that for so long, sort of like, you know, just focusing on raising the money and putting together my podcast, but not really working with other people. And it's just exciting. Like, that's the thing that I love is sort of like, you, you, you know, you get creative people in a room and like you put them together and you put them in the right scenario. And then like they're, they're, they just magnify each other, you know, and they're, they're, we're, we're sort of force multipliers for each other. And that's been really exciting. Like the stuff is really great. You know, and, and it's interesting, like the, the inspiration I got from your, um, from your series is uh, I should basically carry a microphone around with me and everywhere because you never know when there's going to be a conversation that's interesting enough to include into a podcast. Yeah. No, it's, I, I, everybody should. Yeah, it's great. It got it got me thinking a lot more about my own podcast. Like right now, I have kind of, as you can tell, I have this just traditional interview format, and I also do another podcast with my wife actually, where people ask me questions, and then the podcast is me answering them. So yeah. it's it's very kind of, um, I mean, I think I provide a lot of value, but it's it's a definitely a different format than the heavily produced storytelling format, and. You know, obviously, I don't get as many views or downloads as This American Life because of that. And you made me think maybe I should produce a little bit more uh, and, carry, by, and start off by carrying microphones everywhere. <laughs> it's a, it's, I love it. It's an awesome thing to do. Um, I, I, uh, the, I'm actually hogging the studio and like the, the guys need to get into to our studio now. Uh, nope. So I, I, should, I should probably duck out. Yeah, no problem. Well, look, congratulations. Um, I'm, I'm happy for the success, and I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to all of your shows. It was really fun talking to you. Yeah, talk to you later, Alex. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Bye. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.